0: You are listening to The Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode number 64. Today, I'm joined by Randine Lewis, and here's an episode for us practitioners. What do we do when we get sick? So we're going to talk about when people get sick, when practitioners get sick.
1: When I get sick, which isn't very often, it, it challenges me to come up to What I preach, (laughs) like, am I really living this medicine? If I have something that brings me into a state of dis ease, and you know, as we were talking earlier, usually my things don't come up physically, they usually have some psychic origin where I start to feel like something's a little off in the heart. And when something's a little off in the heart, off in the psyche, off in the mind, then it'll start to have physical manifestations if I don't catch it. And so, how is it that I trace it back to its origin? Or am I going to just address my symptoms? And, And so that's always the little bit of a challenge for me because. I don't know. I think that I'm, I'm tuned into the way that I experience breakdown. And so as soon as I start to feel it at the heart level, where it's like, mm, something's off here, psychically, something's off inside of me, I'm not, I'm not aligned in my proper place between heaven and earth. And that's, of course, the time to catch it. But when, like over this last month, I've been stressed beyond belief and I have no capacity to be where I want to be in the healing realm, where I'm able to catch things before they are made manifest. And, you know, I haven't had any physical symptoms, but, but the psychological stressors, and the way that it might affect my sleep and things like that, that's where I'm, am I going to be just addressing it at that branch level? Or am I going to trace it all the way back? And where am I off within myself? Where am I off of my own path? Or am I off my own destiny? And these are times when I think we're being challenged to step into a new reality. Like we were talking about before, our systems are failing us. You know, there's a breakdown in society. There's a breakdown in the world. There's a breakdown in the collective consciousness. And and we're trying desperately to go back to some sort of normal, to get our footing, get our bearing somewhere. And so I think there's a real desperation at that level as well. So during these times of crisis, it's almost like it's time to expect disease. It's It's time to expect some sort of manifestation. And so did we just address the symptomatic presentation or do we find our place where we get a new bearing and a new footing when the world is changing, when consciousness, where the collective consciousness is changing? And it's like a, a birthing process. And here's where... I was thinking about things in the chapter that I'm writing on birthing the Tao is in the ninth month, in the ninth lunar month of pregnancy. So a month before birth, the baumai severs the axis between the heart and the kidney. And so the the fetus who's been, you know, swimming around in the mysterious mother, just, you know, pure bliss, except that it's already been infiltrated by mother's consciousness and its own, its own soul progress. But all of a sudden it loses the light of shin from the heart. And so it gets kind of disturbed in its orientation. And so the, the, the bow my shifts and the daimai my shifts. And so then the the fetus has to find a new orientation because the polar axis is changing and so now it's looking for a different light and so it it descends to you know pomen it moves down as it orients toward the lower light that it's going to perceive from the cervix opening. And so that is such a metaphor for the descent into birthing out of where we've previously been confined. And so like we were talking about before, it, it's not, you know, I just get my wings and, you know, ascend into higher levels of consciousness. No, I'm squeezed out of the old consciousness and I lose my bearing and I don't know where I am and I don't know where I'm going and there's an entirely new reality. So I have to go into the mysterious past. I have to go out of everything that I know. And then a new light appears, and it reorients me toward a new reality. So that, to me, seems to be the basis that I'm grounding when people are getting sick now, that it seems to be because of this kind of breakdown. So I don't know, I may have taken it into a totally different universe than you were intending.
0: (laughs) Well, let's run with it. I like it. I like it. You know, we um we came to this conversation today without any intention, without any agenda of what our what we were gonna talk about. And um we started off the very start of the conversation with an update of how are you? i you know, and we um passed the I'm fine, thanks, you know, how are you? I, oh, yeah, I'm fine, thanks. And then, you know, well really like what's been going on and then <laughs> You know, both of us have had different challenges, and um, and it's it's always a really curious thing to explore as healthcare practitioners and you know Chinese medicine practitioners. There's there's so much judgment, and we have this we have these really bizarre ideas around what is health, what it means to be healthy, what it means to lose your health, and that somehow we hold ourselves to this different standard as as practitioners and it can be really easy to lose that sense of compassion for ourselves as human beings. We're here having a human experience just like anyone else and um, so many practitioners that I've spoken to you know at different times they you know if they've been challenged by a really a really strong disease or illness it's kind of shaken their internal beliefs and their internal understandings around what it means to be well and what it means to be sick you know that it doesn't mean you're less of a practitioner to put your hand up and say i have ms i've got a cancer diagnosis i've In my most recent example, I hurt my back so, so badly, I couldn't walk last week. You know, and then I think, oh, you know, what does that mean? You know, my kidney chi. It's a really humbling experience as a health practitioner to be unwell. Yeah. And then to go, oh, okay, I think I might need some help here. You know, can I fix myself? Should I be fixing myself? How did I get to this place where? I lost my ability to be well. You know, so many of my, um, you know, I think back to the various times over the years where I've had to, there's not that many days where I've had to cancel clinic because I might have come down with a cold or something's happened and um, I haven't been able to get to clinic. And and some of my patients say, but you're a Chinese medicine practitioner. Why are you getting sick? (laughs) And I'm like, well, I'm not a god. Like, I'm just a person. I'm just a normal everyday person. I get sick. I'm not going to live forever. I'm not going to be able to live to be 500 years old. I'm going to, my time here is limited just like anyone else's.
1: Right. Yours is 120, right? <laughs> 120. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's up for debate,
0: apparently. I, I thought that the uh, the goalpost was 120 years, but I think I think it's been... I like think we've been docked by 20 years. It's 100 years <laughs> with 10 stages of life. It's 10 years per stage.
1: Yep. You know, I was thinking too in this, in this same thing. And I think one of, the, one of the things that does seem to be happening with this shakeup is, you know, we're, we're encountering our frail human existence, our weakness, our vulnerability. And which, you know, might be physical, might be um, mental, might be emotional. But I was really thinking about in terms of when the, when the challenge is at a deeper level, the, you know, the dreaded shin disturbance. What if a practitioner really is kind of like I'm at my wit's end with what I can handle with the stressors in my life and resorting to unhealthy practices or, you know, addictions, or we're held to a higher standard with, you know, ultimately a Chinese medicine practitioner eats perfectly and doesn't, you know, we follow the spleen qi diet. We we do qigong every day. We meditate every day. (laughs) We don't, we don't partake in any mind-altering substances. We're not coffee drinkers. We don't drink or we don't eat sugar. We don't drink alcohol. We like. We live a chaste existence. We do. We do. There's,
0: there's no fun. There's no life. There's no joy. There's no space for, for error. There's just like this rigid, you know, regimented... Yeah. How long can you keep that up for? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, I'm, you know, I think I really, I consider myself to be quote unquote healthier than the average typical American person about my age and economic status and all of that. But I don't even really When I get down to it, I don't really know what that means. Does that really place us in a um, higher category where we're less likely to be overtaken by evil or perverse chi? There's
0: more virtuousness about it. And I think that's a good question. You know, what does that even mean? Like, I, I would agree with you. I think that so many of us are brought to this profession out of, our own curiosity and our own desire to seek answers for ourselves. Uh, that was certainly part of my motivation. I had a terrible health journey through my younger years and my childhood and teenage years. I was, um, you know, my health was awful. Um, I was definitely in the lower 25% of all of the people that I knew. You know, I found Chinese medicine and it provided me with answers and solutions that just weren't available to me through mainstream medicine and really transformed my health and transformed my life it was great it was amazing i thought wow oh, this is the answer you know this is this is this is it and you know i feel so fortunate that i have this craft that i can use to facilitate great health for my family and my loved ones and and also for myself and whilst also being grateful for that i also have to remind myself of my starting point you know i didn't have my I'm, i think i came in with fairly good genetics and a fairly strong constitution but 20 plus years at the very start of being pretty unwell and spending so much of that of those formative years being unwell I think it just rocked the foundation for um, how the rest of my life was going to play out, and I think I keep pe- peeling back the layers on that. I've got to remind myself that you know, having fifty rounds of antibiotics by the time I turned twenty, you know, it has a it has a lasting impact on on my digestion and my poor old spleen spleenchy. And kidney Yang is still reeling from the echoes, <laughs> and you know everyone's got their own version of of that type of of that type of story. But um, it's an interesting thing to um to just look at our own health journeys and to think about well, what would it be like without Chinese medicine? You know, I'm I'm just constantly grateful because there's just no way I would be able to function anywhere near at the level that I do if it wasn't for our medicine. Yeah. It's just brought so much, so much functionality back, yeah. back to me and so much life. You know, it's just that there's so many amazing things that happen when we when we have acupuncture, when we when we take a tailored herbal prescription. You know, I've had a couple of patients this week provide me with this beautiful metaphor that when they're, you know, when they're drinking their herbs, because I prescribe Raw herb formulas to a lot of my patients, and they they drink their herbs. This one woman, she said, oh, I drink drank my herbs, and it just I could feel everything reorganizing inside my body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really like that. I I really, I really believe, and I see. We all see the effects of a herbal formula that's on point, yeah, or an acupuncture prescription that just is exactly what that person needs in that moment, yeah. It yeah. allows everything to reorganize.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's a that's a mindset too, to be able to see that, to be able to have that sense that I think is is unique to the herbal formulas that you know you're you're drinking it, you're feeling that as you're swallowing it. You're feeling the realignment, you're feeling it go into the cells, you're feeling your body take in the energetics of that, which is which I don't get when I'm taking capsules or concentrates or pills. or.
0: I think the smell and the taste has an important effect. You know, it just goes straight to the brain. The cranial nerves just, it's like that, yeah. that highway that just goes straight to, okay, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And then the flow on effects that happen further down in the digestive system.
1: Now, when I was in China 22 years ago, I think it was, I was pretty sick. You know, my my defense, I had just had a child a few months earlier. I was uh, breastfeeding. Um, this was, I don't remember if it was the last time I went to China. I had a head cold. I I was just sick the entire time. Then I had I had a UTI, I had a digestive something, I was just sick. I had no upright chi. Everything was attacking me. And, you know, I was so chi and blood deficient. And they gave me some, some of those, uh, not the tea pills, those, those tarry little things that come in like a ping pong ball of goi pitong. And so you, you know, you open it up and it's about the size of uh, like a grape or something. And I would chew on it. And it was, you know, from the guaypi tongue that I had previously. I, you know, I'd drink the guaypi tongue, and I could, ah, oh, yes. But in this concentrated form, it was making me sick. And I would, I would take it and just, and that has stayed with me. So now, whenever I have guaypi Pitang and I um, taste it. It brings back the memory of it being a little too strong, a little too concentrated, and so it it brings up the sickness at the same time with it. It's a strange thing.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm.
1: Did it did that formula work for you at that time? Yeah, it really did. After a couple of weeks there, you know, I was fine and yeah. got better. But at first, it was just awful. I was I was so. Depleted, (laughs) of course, just like an American, you know, a few months after giving birth, you know, go over and do a yeah, internship over at a hospital in China with your kids while you're still breastfeeding and all of that. (laughs) Good plan, (laughs) yeah,
0: yeah, it was. (laughs) I have a similar, um, a similar story after not long after I had my second child, is when. My good friend Kirsten Wolf and I ran our first fertility conference in Australia. And I was still breastfeeding. I had a 10 month old. And oh boy, did I get sick after that. <laughs> the, the lead up to that conference was intense. And, you know, it wasn't an easy time after having my son. He challenged me in lots of ways. And I got through the conference. I've, I'm really good at keeping it together, and then I got to the other end. Oh, it's just like right. I'm tired. I'm just going to have a sleep for a week. Um, but it wasn't enough, and I got so sick. I had a strep throat infection. It was the and that was an old pattern of mine. Like I had a lot of upper respiratory infections as a child. Lots of tonsillitis and ear infections and chest infections and, um, and things, things like that. And eventually the antibiotics stopped working for me, which is how I found Chinese medicine because I needed something else. I just couldn't be on these antibiotics anymore because they just didn't work anymore. And then I, it's kind of like I came full circle because I just depleted myself to such an extent that mm. I fell beyond the ability to rescue myself with Chinese medicine. And I was so unwell. I thought, you know what, I think this is going to be the first round of antibiotics that I'm having in 20 years. And, um, <laughs> you know, I packed up my ego as I um, walked off to the GP's office and said, I'm really sick. And I think I need some, some pharmaceutical medicine here. I'm like, I just needed some extra, some extra help the chinese herbs that i had didn't even touch the sides and you know maybe maybe i could have had a different formula prescribed by someone else but um, you know i i went and, and got these antibiotics and then the die off of all of this Strep went through. I had strep through my entire body. I had it. I had skin infections. I had throat infections. I had this weird cellulitis in my legs. It was just, and my gut. It was just, my body was riddled. I was in so much pain, I couldn't walk. And I was on antibiotics around the clock for weeks and weeks. It really brought to light how unsupportive my husband at the time was. And it kind of culminated with me deciding to leave him. And when I made that decision to leave him was when everything started to lift. But I was sick for a couple of months. It was
1: really terribly humbling. It was really intense. And
0: it's so humbling.
1: This is such a good example, Claire, that, you know, when something like that happens, and obviously it took that to bring you to the place where you made the recognition that the partnership that I'm in is not supportive of where I'm going in this life. Like, what a shock. Like, I had, I had a very similar experience, not in terms of, like, we put up with a lot and we don't see what it is that's causing unwellness in our life. The most obvious things until we start to break down and we start to see that, okay, the pattern that I'm living here is not conducive to my highest good here. And, you know, it takes what it takes until we get that wake up call and it might be, uh, you know, a cancer or, you know, who knows, a stint in a mental health uh, ward or, um, you know, going on IV antibiotics or whatever it takes. But And it's not just, I don't think it's just the, you know, the physical breakdown or whatever it is, but it's that humbling part where um, you know for me I I'm not good at all asking for help and I will endure and I will do it myself and I will fix myself and I will acupuncture myself and I will order my own herbs and I will do Qigong and I will do you know change my diet and take supplements the last thing I'm gonna do is reach out to, somebody and say, I need help here. I mean, I'm, I'm really going to be sick by the time I'm reaching out for help. And now I can do that. Like if I was closer to you, I could call you and say, Claire, I really need acupuncture. Can you help me out here? But, but to get to a point where I'm accepting allopathic medical care, that's going to be probably pretty traumatic for me (laughs) I just don't go in that direction if unless I absolutely have to, and I've built up a resistance against it. So for me, that kind of represents failure of a sort that I've set it up, and it's not. I would never judge you or anybody else for it. Like, of course, get on antibiotics. You've got this... Um, you know, strep infection taking over your body, of course, get on it. but if it's happening to me, no, I'm going to power my way through. I need more Wong qi. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I, I also feel that the, you know, one of the systems that's breaking down the most is our, you know, Western medical system. And so, you know, I, I really think Chinese medicine, of course, is to be all and end all and it can cure everything pretty much. But I don't want to have this um, combative relationship with Western medicine, like maybe not combative, but I consider it lowly. I really do judge it if, if it's for me, if, you know. For me, I feel like I've failed if I've gotten to the point where I'm going to need to reach out for a pharmaceutical. And I think it's a bias that's not really all that uncommon for us. Mm, You know, because I understand, maybe not more than the average, but I really, I can understand what's going on pharmaceutically. I I understand the system of allopathic medicine. And I think that's why, because I studied it before I came into Chinese medicine, I at first it was the gold standard. And I thought that, you know, you you understand Western medicine. You are the be-all and the end all. And then that kind of flipped on its head. And it's like, no, Chinese medicine is the be-all and end all. Like it gets to the root. It, you know, it it gets to the origin of things. And so um, I kind of turned that upside down. And now I see the when you get a little sniffle, you don't go to your general practitioner and say, you know, give me antibiotics again. But I think. A lot of times that is the standard, like something goes wrong, um, people get scared, they go to their doctor and just say, give me something. And because I have been so averse to that approach that I've kind of taken it on, that it's my role to say absolute no to any of that. Mm -hmm. That's the last thing I will do is go on a pharmaceutical.
0: (laughs) I, f- I feel the same you know it's it's so interesting why um my son has had some challenges recently with he's had some mouth ulcers and he's um, just had a really really sore throat his first ever encounter with tonsillitis i think um he was so <laughs> he was in so much pain he wouldn't even open his mouth or let me take a look but he was just pointing and saying it was sore and wouldn't swallow and refused ice cream. Like when a four-year-old kid refuses ice cream, you know they're sick. <laughs> My ex and I, we have shared custody and um, and I picked him up from his dad's house and, you know, his dad said, oh, I think his jaw is sore. He hasn't been talking much today. And I'm oh, really? That sounds really strange to have a sore jaw, but okay, no problem. Let's get in the car and go home and um, got, got him home and realised, wow, he is really sick. Like, my son here is really sick. And, um, you know, there'd been some COVID notifications at school. And anyway, we did some tests and he wasn't, he didn't have COVID. And, but I thought, wow, I, I don't know if I'm equipped to deal with this. And, you know, I was stuck at home and I couldn't get into work to make up some herbs. I had some Yin Chao Sun, but only in pills. And he's too little to kind of swallow the pills. And so I thought, right, I'm just going to give him some, um, some Panadol. What do you, what do you guys call that Tylenol? And I had some I had some uh, Panaxia capsules of AVAT, which is I think some Jin Yin Hua, Lian Chao, and one other thing that's in there. There's there's three herbs in there. I thought right, that's all I've got. I'll just give him some of that and um, put him to bed. And woke up the next day and he was still wasn't well, but he you know it wasn't at the point where I thought okay I might need to. Call a home visit doctor or maybe even take him to the hospital if his tonsils were going to close over. We went into work. I made up some yin chow san um, just in raw herbs, got home, boiled them up, thought I'd try my hand at making it into a gao, And so I put in a whole bunch of honey, but it wasn't enough to make it really. Like I boiled it down and Anyway, it's just a very sweet, (laughs) a very sweet liquid that still has the same viscosity as a normal decoction. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought, well, you know, I'm pretty sure the honey will do him good. And I gave him like three doses of herbs over the course of the day as, um, you know, before I dropped him back off at his dad's house. And it just reminded me, wow, our medicine really works quite well. Like I had, we had a consult with, um, with the GP. He's seen a GP once before in his life. My kids don't have a GP. They've never needed a GP. And, um, but we wanted to organise some blood tests just to, um, just to see what might be going on with these mouth ulcers and things that he's been having. Um, just to cover the bases and um, and she said, Oh, look, if he's sick now I can prescribe some prednisolone for him and um and you know, if he's still not well tomorrow, then you can give him some antibiotics. So I'll send you the scripts for those and um, and I considered giving the prednisolone, but it was late in the day and I thought, oh, I don't want him to be awake tonight. I just want him to rest. So I just gave him the Chinese herbs and um it's just so amazing that um that they work. And I know that they work because this is what I do for a living is I acupuncture my patients and I prescribe them herbal medicine. And I see that it works all the time, but you just see it happen in front of your eyes with
1: yeah. your
0: own child. Yeah. It's just It just reminds you of how amazing our medicine is.
1: The fear of getting sick. It's Jeffrey categorized different levels of, you know, obviously the lowest level is, is we treat disease once it manifests and um, you know, and, and sometimes that's a call for, you know, we take whatever drastic measure is necessary, but then he, he says even preventive medicine belongs to the pericardium. It's still protective. It's still, I'm afraid of getting sick and so it still is low grade medicine and then the highest grade of medicine the way that he explained it was i love myself too much to allow myself to get ill that's quite a standard and but I, and i think at the level of you know pure consciousness that's true that's true if if one can stay there now a four-year-old kid, of course, that's not relevant for. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. It, it was about the idea of the different levels, that, that that's always appropriate. That's always appropriate when we when something is already manifest. And I don't want to be chasing it around with Chinese herbs for the next month. I want to get on with my life. I want to have a quick remedy i want to get back as as quickly as possible so i'm going to do more drastic measures at that point but then it's at the other two levels that the fear of getting sick seems to be the highest level of wellness or healthcare in the modern western world and you see it you know all the time with covid like if i'm if i'm isolating social distancing and masking and getting vaccines then I'm preventing a sickness. That's the mindset versus the highest, which is I love myself and my life too much to allow sickness to enter. And Mm. so that's just kind of a different, a different challenge. Now, if I get sick, if there's a breakdown in the system, like, like right now, I'm having a lot of challenges while it might be external challenges, the external challenges are triggering these internal cellular responses. That, you know, it seems like, okay, this is a big fat lesson that I'm going through, where a lot of things in my psyche, in my life, are being rectified. And it feels nothing like loving. <laughs> it, even to prevent illness, like that's not even in my awareness. It's like, this is just this is just hard. This is all I can do some days to keep going is just like okay, I'm up. I drink my tea. I have breakfast. I go for a walk. Like like sometimes that's the best I can do. And that might not look like it's the highest grade medicine, but I really believe that sometimes life gives us challenges like this where it's like, how are you going to get through? How are you going to use this challenging time, this illness, this sickness, this breakdown, this whatever, your life crumbles, your all of a sudden everything's different. How is this going to be a learning opportunity? A How are you going to alchemize this so that you come out of it at a higher vibration than you went into it?
0: I think it's, um, you know, there's so many aspects of that, that I really resonate with, and and I'd love to speak to so many of them, <laughs> but I know we'll get pulled on more tangents. But the the thing that I really appreciate about you, Randine, is that you you kind of like smash the illusion that this is all just beautiful and there's sunshine and rainbows and you know all all we need to do is just smile more and you know just be. Just be, you know, the perfect practitioner and everything will be fine. Like (laughs) this stuff is hard and life sucks so much of the time, you know. Like I've got a great life, but there are more days than I would like where I wake up and I'm like, I don't want to go to work today. I just want to stay at home and just not talk to anyone sometimes. And (laughs) and just be grumpy in my pajamas and watch netflix you know like <laughs> and i i have i'm i'm saying this out loud now because this is my plan for the weekend you know i'm going to pick up my kids this afternoon and we're going to stay at home i'm not going anywhere i i don't know if i'm going to get dressed i may not even have a shower like i'm at the level where i just need to
1: have some yin time. See that to me that sounds like radical self-care. It really does. It is. It's like the things that we would consider, you know, that uh all of this, la 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 la, I'm gonna do all of these things to make me feel good. It uh-uh uh-uh like I appreciate you saying that it made me laugh because um it's you know, it really does shatter that illusion completely. And the way that I've been feeling now, that I it's like right now I feel like I'm about the sickest person I know. <laughs> and and it's just freeing to be able to say that. Because then there's no illusions. that, you know, I can say at the same time that. I'm the wellest person that I know because I allow myself to get to that level of falling apart. I know that there is this process of transcendence that comes from that. Whereas sometimes the most, you know, I, I don't have a standard, an external standard to uphold. Like really the nature of life is to die and be reborn and die and be reborn and die and be reborn in every moment. And, you know, if I'm following the standard of what it looks like in order to keep myself well, it's like, you know, you just see the fallout of that all over the place where that fails. That system fails again and again and again and again. And so sometimes the most radical self-care looks like unwellness but it's going with what already is moving in that direction. Like it's already reached the point where this particular trajectory of my life is coming to an end. I'm just gonna go with it and let it crash. Because I know there's gonna be something rising out of it. (laughs) Let's burn it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's not a popular um, path. (laughs) Because it's it is hard. It is very hard. I remember I had early on in practice um, when I had a practice in Houston. I had I called you know there was there was like this spiritual gaggle of women who came to see me. There was one woman on top and all of her little followers and um, you know they wore very flowy clothes and. And they, you know, they found an acupuncturist and they'd all come. And, um, and the leader of the pack at one point, you know, I was putting some needles in her and she said, ouch, and I'm not a gentle needler, you know, I, <laughs> but she said, I am of the opinion that um, healing ought not be painful. Oh,
0: how does that work?
1: Yeah, I know. and, and it was a very popular view. Now this was um, maybe twenty-five years ago or so, and and that was the view that healing shouldn't hurt, healing should not be painful, that you should just continue to get to these higher and better and happier planes of existence, that there was just more peace, more joy, more love, more light, and that represented healing. And and I said. I'm putting a needle in your body. I'm penetrating your skin. There's going to be some discomfort with it. And, you know, I said some BS like, you're so sensitive. I'm going to use gentler, you know, smaller needles on you. I'm going to use facial needles on you because you're so sensitive. And she loved that. And I was, you know, really appealing to that. But it illustrated a mindset to me that healing ought not hurt. And it's a, um, I think it's a very dangerous mindset because sometimes the most radical healing takes you to the the most hellish places. And I know that in my my path and a lot of people that I have helped, they've had to really come to the edge of themselves. They've had to come to the place where most people avoid, whether it be through pharmaceuticals to avoid physical pain or psychic pain, or whatever type of suffering or discomfort that we're trying to get out of, we move away from that healing potential of leaning into the place where if we're not resisting the pain, there is no suffering. We go right into it and it's like, oh my God, this is the lesson. This is where I am being brought to my knees in a type of healing where I come out a a totally different human being.
0: And I think that really, you know, that really speaks to the essence of it that, you know, who do I need to be to be well? It's not, you know, which herb do I need to take, what needle needs to be the one, which supplement, which, you know, which mantra, which meditation, which, like, who do I need to be? What's the invitation here? And that's, you know, if we're able to be reminded of that for ourselves by the goddess or the Tao or whoever it is that blesses us with these illnesses and diseases and, you know, catching our attention with whatever it takes, you know, we we are reminded as practitioners what it's like to be a patient and what it's like to be sick. And, you know, there's always some some great lessons there if we if we want them, and if we're open to them to, to then bring back to clinic, to then be able to offer new perspectives and new richness. I guess, you know, I see our job as practitioners to a certain extent, well, for me and the way that I practice, I'm a little bit like a, like a guide. Someone comes and they, and they say, I'm, I'm dealing with this, with this challenge. And I say, okay, let's walk together. How fast are we going to walk along this? You know, you you can carry your own bags. (laughs) I've got my own bags. I don't need your bags. Like, you carry your bags. We're just going to walk along whatever speed you're okay with. And I can point out, you know, the little dips along the way, and they may or may not listen. They may or may not trip over the rocks or (laughs) fall off the edge at different times. And then, okay, let's winch you back up. Um, But it, it, you know, sometimes it feels like I'm helping to narrate their journey and just kind of like walk alongside them through that healing journey. And it's nice to be reminded of what the path feels like to walk along because it's easy for me at least to be disconnected from that at times and to get caught up in the in the headiness of it, in the academic theory of it. And just to, you know, go through the motions in clinic and just go, well, this is this is what works. This is what I know what works and then occasionally it's like oh man i've just been really sick and i was in bed and i was suffering and that timelessness of suffering it's just you know when people come up you know they they describe words you know they're using words like the abyss and the void and the uh, you know it's unrelenting and you know, we, we talked about before we started the recording that enlightenment, it's not this destination that you get to where you're like, yes, I'm enlightened and it's this beautiful mountaintop and I'm looking out over the entirety of civilization. It's just yes. beautiful.
1: <laughs> like
0: it, you tumble into the abyss and it, and it feels like you're never going to stop falling. Like, do I come out? Do I go into the center of the earth and come out the other side? Do I go into a different dimension? It's like it's crushing and just empty all at the same time. It's um,
1: yeah, where the you where the darkness becomes the light. It's not like you shine the light in the darkness. You come out of the darkness toward the light, and no, it's the darkness that becomes the light that's the true radicality of it. Like the things that we avoid the most, we try to stay out of that darkness. We try to stay out of the abyss. I will not go there. And and that's what medicine supports. Like at all costs, first of all, don't die. Dying is the worst failure. And so we'll keep you from dying. We'll keep, we keep you from coming to the edge of your psychological self as well. So we'll, we'll put you on antidepressants or, you know, anxiolytics or whatever to come to the edge of that self. So we want to keep you from flipping out. We want to keep you from dying. We want to keep you from your edges so that you can go along and play the game. And, you know, I don't know if, well, you obviously have had that experience and but to to walk with somebody to their own edge that nobody has ever walked with them before. Like I remember a woman I was working with who who had a history of um, psychological and mental illness, and she was put in um, different psychiatric facilities because she would become suicidal. And so they'd medicate her heavily, And she, from the time she was like a child, she was in her teenage years. And so she admitted this to me. She wasn't coming to me for this, but she admitted it to me, part of her history that she was embarrassed about. And she wanted me to know that this was a part of her, that, um, you know, that she has had this suicidal tendency and, you know, to her, it was just this big, big black box that um, we just don't go there. And in the course of working together, it ended up in one of our treatments where this was kind of opening up for her, and she was freaking out a little bit because she hadn't been there for a while. But we were, you know, going to deeper places, and and I simply asked her if she was if she was okay. And was it okay if I went there with her? And she looked absolutely stunned. Like, was that a possibility? Because every time it just meant here I go into the abyss alone. And while a part of that is true, just the willingness to go there with her, like it took away all of her resistance to going there. And so it was like we went to this place into her own darkness together. And she was kind of being the guide as we went there together. And we got out the other side and she was giddy. She was like, I have been so afraid of this my entire life. And so I think that's really, you know, accompanying somebody into their own darkness, into their own illness, into their own, you know, through their own demons. First of all, we have to be able to do that with ourselves. I have to be able to go through my own hell realms to be able to accompany somebody else through theirs. And then, like, you know, I can befriend them. It's, it's you know, nobody else's hell realms are going to devour me. <laughs> Mine haven't. <laughs> they seem like they're going to. But just keep going, keep going. This darkness will turn into its own light.
0: Mm. I like that metaphor. It's so encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that I think I could remember the next time I'm in it.
1: And that's where duality ceases. You know, it's not the light versus the dark. It's like, yeah, this is, this is where it happens. <laughs> this, is, this is where the, the, the pure yin supports, like Bladder 67, like the reaching yin. Is the birthing place? It's like that's the that's the reorientation from the previous reality mm, where I was yeah. caught in this axis of the womb of being suspended in a certain reality, and then when that reality gives way, when the bow my the the heart womb connection is severed, and the axis shifts, and now the orientation is toward the cervix that the darkness is the light <laughs> and then a new reality opens up. I wasn't intending to use that <laughs> analogy right along with it, but of course it's right there. And it's so, um you know, we've
0: all at least got the, the visceral memory of that experience of, you know, Oh, it's getting cramped in here. Oh, I'm running out of space. Oh, it's just, I've got nowhere to go. You know, I feel like I'm going to, something's going to happen if I don't get out of here. But how do I get out? Yeah,
1: And that's when the horrific beauty about this prior to birthing is that the, the mother's heart ceases communicating with the child at that point. And that's what brings on the labor. That's what causes the descent. And so you think about that for, for the child, that has, of course, a very different reality. It's not a you know conscious cognitive reality that, that we can understand, um, but we do remember it. Like all of a sudden, I lost all of my bearings. I I lost the, the connection to my mom's heart. And I had, to, I had to descend on my own here. I had to find my own light on my own. Nobody else was leading me to it. She was not going to an acupuncturist who was moxing bladder 67. <laughs> 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 well, yeah,
0: and then sometimes Moxa bladder 67 doesn't do the job because there's some other aspects at play. Yeah. Sometimes it's just part of the, you know that's that's the interesting part about pregnancy and birth is you've got the intersection of two people's destiny and who knows how that's going to play out you know yeah sometimes it's just not compatible with what we would like to have happen just like any other just like any you know we don't get to be the perfect pictures of health our entire lives we don't get to have these perfect births and these perfect you know the perfect sickness oh I you know I was I was sick and it was just you know followed all of the all of the ways it was meant to play out and I
1: propped up on pillows and still beautiful you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) beautiful enough for Instagram
1: (laughs) with the right filter (laughs) (laughs) for the pity but still beautiful (laughs) yeah
0: yeah it's it's an ugly it's an ugly thing and um and I think it's good to embrace being being imperfect yeah I think I think that's where the perfection is is in the process
1: yeah yeah Really, you know, embracing the imperfections, embracing the flaws, embracing, you know, the unique ways where we fall short and to have such compassion for that. that I will never measure up to my ideals for myself And, and I have to have compassion for that. And I know that everybody else is in that same boat as well. Like, we're constantly letting ourselves down, you know. It's really quite a a rub that we are heaven and we are earth. That, you know, we're reaching for this um, heavenly, enlightened ideal in these imperfect, flawed, earthly, human suits. That, you know, at times, I just, I love this messy ride. <laughs> yeah, because it's messy. Yeah, and right now it's messy, and I'm not loving it. But I'm going to come out the other side, and I'm going to speak about it very lovingly. Ah, uh, back when I was going through.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, when you when you just kind of summarize it in a few sentences, it's it can sound quite poetic. You know, I had these symptoms, and I took this medicine. You know, it's interesting. Um, I want to come back to a couple of comments that you made earlier around this kind of like the rivalry of Chinese medicine and and Western medicine. And my medicine's better than your medicine, and no, my medicine's better than your medicine. This like rivalry, I think, is a good word. That, um, but it's it's kind of like segregation. You know, that we feel like we're talking about. Different things. I mean, we are talking about different things, but we're, we're talking ultimately, we're talking about the human experience of being unwell. We're just talking about it via a different lens and, you know, via this, via um, a different framework where we take people at their word. If someone says, I don't feel well, we go, Okay, I believe you. Whereas the mainstream model, we go in and we say i don't feel well and the doctor says well let's see about that
1: we're going to run some tests to see if you really are unwell yeah there's no
0: evidence so far that you that you are actually unwell because we can't take your word for that you could be making it up for attention
1: or worse you think you're well but we know better you're not well <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll be the deciders here <laughs>
0: And it's and it's so interesting that um, if we leave aside the tools of, you know what it is that we that we bring, you know, it, and I was reminded of this just in my most recent interaction with my with my GP that um, you know, that I so uh, I so rarely have reason to go to my GP, and I'm often underwhelmed with the experience. But I had a really interesting perspective this time where, We're still dealing with human suffering. And if you've got a good doctor that's got a good bedside manner, it can still be like that interaction in itself is healing, regardless of the tools that we use, because she knows what it's like to be sick.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: We all know what it's like to be sick. And if we forget about, you know, what do I call it? What am I going to do about it? And we can just spend some moments being with our patient and that just transcends any modality yeah just acknowledging that it's really tough at times and it's and it's not easy to reach out for help and it's not easy to to hand over your destiny <laughs> or this part of your destiny and how it's going to play out and to and to share that with with another person and i think it's um you know if we were to remind ourselves more often that we're all doing the same thing ultimately. I think that 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 would go a long way to bridging the gap and, and, and helping to dissolve so much of the bias and prejudice that's still there, like it's so old. I'm so tired of like these conversations with my patients where it's still happening, where people come in and, oh, my doctor told me to stop taking my Chinese medicine you know, the Chinese medicine was causing me to have this problem. And it turns out it was something else entirely.
1: Of course, of course, because we're, you know, we're not being, we're not in the lab. (laughs) We're not tried and true. We are not, not giving that definition of reality. And, you know, you and I are lucky to have GPs that, you know, and it's probably our makeup as well. I'm not going to go to somebody who says, this is what you're doing. These are the tests we're going to do. And this is what I'm going to put you on. You know, when I go for my checkup, I'm saying that, yeah, go ahead and test this. I don't need this done. I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, have anybody pay for this. There's no signs that I, I have an issue here. So, but I have a relationship with my doctor that, um, because of the way I deal with medicine when I am in that paradigm, she learns from me. And so it's more of a relational dynamic where I'm telling her, this is how I look at it. I'm in charge of my um, healthcare here. And, and she's curious about it. And so she asks me, what do you want? We can, we can go this way. We can go this way. What are your thoughts about it? What would you do? And I, I can tell that it's opening up something in her to give her a different repertoire to offer her patients because she sees the way that I live my life and it's very different than most of her patients. And so I think that's, you know, one of the ways that we can change the paradigm a little bit and we can open that up. But from the time I began practicing, that bias has been there and I have I have worked very hard in trying to communicate with allopathic physicians in a way where we're speaking the same language. And you and I have done this. You did this in TCM pathology. I tried to do it in spirit of the blood, that we're having the same conversation. We're talking about the same things, but we're just looking at it through a different lens here. And, you know, so hopefully those. Lenses won't be, won't remain in completely different universes. Mm. But I think the heroics that are a part of um, the allopathic or biomedical model are sometimes very abusive. And you just, you know, we get in the system and that's all it's about. And, you know, we're trying to maintain a relational dynamic. A personal dynamic. Who knows if the two shall ever meet?
0: (laughs) Indeed. What a great conversation. I've really enjoyed where we ended up today. It's always, always interesting, always fun. We're going to have you back later in the year to talk about your
1: Spirit of the Blood book. Great. After
0: it comes
1: out. Good, good, good. Yeah, that'll be fun. I got the back cover proof, and they put your testimonial as the first one. Oh wow! And I have, you know, there were a lot of testimonials on there, some from MDS, and um, but yours was the first cover quote. I'm, I'm almost positive. I'll check that again. But
0: oh, I look forward to um, I look forward to getting a copy. I um. Dr. Claire Pyre, number one, <laughs> <laughs> fabulous. I mean, it's a it's a fabulous textbook. It's, um, you know, I look forward to more and more people publishing in the area of integrative TCM. You know, as as um, you know, one of the pioneers of this area, it's you know, I think it's really important, and we'll cover this in in, a, in another episode. But I think it's really important to always come from Chinese medicine and to, so that we can retain our identity and retain our strength. And it's so easy to get lost in functional medicine and integrative medicine. And what does that mean? And I think people look from the outside in, you know, I certainly have a lot of people who misunderstand what it is that I do. And they, they think, oh, you practice functional medicine. You're, a you know, Sacrilege, single handedly, sullying the reputation of Chinese medicine. I'm tainting the purity um, when, in fact, everything that I do is grounded in a Chinese medicine lens. It's all grounded in yin and yang and qi and blood because that's the framework that that works for me and it works for my patients. And you know, I don't need to change it until it stops working.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think continuing to have conversations like this, where we're not, you know, we're not just sitting around quoting data and, you know, talking about, well, according to, you know, this classic or that classic or this master or that master. But it's it's a lived in my daily life. This is how I am living this medicine. This is how it's working for me. This is how I'm dealing with my own sickness and my own failings as a part of my own humanity that keeps, you know, Chinese medicine, you know, in daily life, in the kitchen, in a working relational dynamic so that it does come together. That, You know, and you, you hear it all the time from our patients that... This just makes sense. It just makes sense. What you're saying it, it just it touches a wisdom that I know is inside of me about how to how to come out of the illness that I'm experiencing, how to be able to be unwell <laughs> and not not remain in a state of being unwell. But I moved through this experience of being unwell because we all go through it and it's not a failing. It's part of life. Indeed, it is.
0: It's part of how we transform and how we grow. Amazing. Thank you so much, Randine. You are so welcome. All right, that's it for today. Bye for now. And we'll see you again soon.